Good morning. It's my pleasure to be offering the Dharma talk this morning. The topic of my talk is the illusion of good and evil. Several weeks ago, during one of our discussions after a Dharma talk, I mentioned something about Carl Jung's theory on duality and good and evil. And Reverend Lee asked me if I would give a Dharma talk on that topic. So here we are. I've mentioned some of these theories in some of my previous Dharma talks, so I apologize if some of this will sound repetitive to you, but then hopefully some things merit repeating. My Dharma name is Wan Jung Shim. As I understand it, the closest English translation of this would be One Equilibrium Mind. When I was given this name, I was very happy because throughout my adult life, I have been fascinated by the whole question of polarity and duality and how to reconcile opposites. How to find the golden mean, if you will, the point of equilibrium between conflicting ideas or concepts. Indeed, it was this fascination that initially drew me to the psychology of C.G. Jung. My doctoral dissertation in the program in Psychiatry and Religion at Union Theological Seminary was entitled Jung's Theory of Shadow and Evil and Its Implications for Christian Ethics. The whole idea of how opposites like good and evil occur and relate is central to Jung's psychology. Indeed, it was his preoccupation with this topic that drew him to Eastern religions and makes his psychology particularly compatible with Buddhist thought. Jung was considered a radical by many of his peers, including his mentor Freud, with whom he eventually parted ways. This was due in many respects, to many respects of his psychology, but the one I want to focus on this morning is his insight into the relation between opposites, and particularly good and evil. This is perhaps nowhere more apparent than in a book that Jung wrote late in his life in 1952 entitled Answer to Job. This book is considered the most controversial book he wrote, and it has drawn all kinds of criticism and dismay in both religious and psychological circles. It was written in one week when he was sick and almost delirious with fever. Many of his detractors and even some of his supporters have suggested that the book is the irrational ramblings of a sick man whose fever made him delusional. Jung, on the other hand, suggested that this illness, almost like an hallucinatory drug, put him more in touch with the depths of his psyche and the truths that emerge out of what he called the collective unconscious or collective psyche. The book of Job, of course, is about a man who feels betrayed by God unnecessarily picked on and persecuted in spite of being a good person. Job was one of the first voices recorded in history to ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Jung's answer to Job is, maybe God isn't quite who you think he is. In Judeo-Christian thought, God is seen as good and only good. In Christianity, he is seen to exist in a tripartite schema, the Trinity. We all know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In answer to Job, Jung suggests that this picture of God is incomplete. For Jung, there is never, three is never a good number to represent unity or totality. You must have four. 
such as you find in nature in the four seasons or on the map with north, south, east, and west, or in any mandala which always has four points of balance and which is seen in Buddhism and Hinduism as a symbol of the unity of the universe. So Jung suggested, in answer to Job, that God is not a trinity, but rather a quaternity. And to the trinity he added a fourth person, Satan. Father and Son on one axis, the Holy Spirit and Satan on the other axis. Now you can imagine how that was seen in Christian circles. Satan as part of God? What are you saying, man? And of course, this is a very radical idea because it implies that God is not only good, but that he or she embodies all of reality, including evil. Jung went on in the book to say that God has a shadow side, and from that shadow emerges much of the evil in the world. Now taken literally, this idea seems radical even to non-theists. But the question is, should we really take it literally? And I think that this is where the rub is, and where Jung was perhaps more of a Buddhist than he realized. In essence, Jung is opening up the idea that perhaps the opposition of good and evil as we normally understand these concepts is an illusion. They coexist as part of one reality. That's the bottom line. It's a reality which for most of us would be integrated into our understanding of the world only if we had reached samadhi or perfect understanding. But most of us live most of our lives in this dualistic world where the concepts of ego and self are part of our daily reality and where opposing concepts such as good and evil create a very real tension with which we struggle daily. Now Jung understood this, <clears throat> excuse me, and while in answer to Job, he may have had a moment of particularly enlightened insight. Most of his psychology was aimed at helping to explain how we can become healthier and more enlightened in our struggle with the dualities of our existence. Jung had a very unique understanding of the structure of the human psyche, which was far more complex than what Freud had suggested when he talked about the ego, the id, and the superego. Jung accepted Freud's map of the psyche, but he expanded upon it, adding such concepts as personal versus collective ego, persona, shadow, anima and animus, and the collective unconscious. It would take far too much time to try to explain all of this this morning, so for our purposes we will look at just two aspects of the psyche which were of tremendous importance to Jung, the persona, and the shadow. For Jung, the persona is the conscious part of the ego. It is the image we have of ourselves in which we try to be and to project to others. What I think of as me, with all of its permutations, constitutes my persona. Actually, it makes more sense to talk of personae in the plural because our persona shifts as we fill the various roles in our lives. I have one persona as a father, how I want to be and to be perceived as a loving, caring, competent father. I have another as a husband, yet another as a friend or as a professional person, as a colleague, as a musician, and so forth. 
But in most aspects of my persona, I try to project myself as a good person, as being caring, compassionate, and competent in each of the roles that I fill. I think this is true for most of us. We want to be seen as competent, effective, caring human beings. We want to be good, however we may understand that word. And most of us have at least some recognition that we're not always successful in achieving the persona that we wish to project to the world. So part of our persona may include elements of humility, failure, shame or resentment at not being quite what we hope to be. This is how we view and know ourselves. Where this becomes problematic is that we tend to think that this is the whole picture of who we are, our entire reality. And this is a very dangerous illusion. Like Freud, only even to a greater extent, Jung felt that our persona, or multiple personae, represent just the tip of the iceberg. There's far more to us than we are aware of or that anyone observing us would be aware of. And all the many layers that lie in the depths beneath our consciousness play a major role in affecting and even determining our behavior. Just as there are apparent polarities in life and in the universe, there are polarities within the human psyche. In polar opposition to our persona is a part of our unconscious, which Jung called the shadow. Now this may date me, but I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember a radio program in the 40s and 50s called The Shadow. It always began with a voice saying, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows, ha ha ha. Whoever scripted that program probably had very little awareness that they were on a significant insight about the human psyche. According to Jung, and I fully subscribe to this idea, we all possess a shadow or shadow side. It's not an option. Just as our ego grows and evolves throughout our lifespan, at the same time, the shadow within is evolving in exactly the opposite direction. The shadow is the personification of everything that is contrary to the persona. If my persona is to try to be loving and caring, then in my shadow lies a drive to be hateful and abusive. If I am striving in my persona to be good, more like God the Father in Jung's Quaternity, in my shadow I have a drive to be evil, more like Satan, the shadow side of God. Now, as you can imagine, this was not a popular idea when Jung suggested it. He was accused of being contemptuous of human nature, and in religious circles, his views would seem to constitute blasphemy. And while these critiques are certainly understandable, they could not be further from the truth. Jung was anything but contemptuous of human nature. If anything, he felt that the human psyche was far richer, deeper, and more wonderful than anyone had dared imagine. For him, the innate goal in all of the psyche's inner workings is a drive toward balance and wholeness, a reconciling of the opposites that exist within. The more aware that God can be of the Satan within his nature, Jung would say, the better, fairer God he will be. And the more we are aware of the shadow within us, the more we will succeed at being well-balanced, competent, responsible human beings.
Of course, the big question that this raises is, how do we do that? For Jung, it all comes down to the importance of self-awareness, which is something that we certainly can affirm as Buddhists. The shadow within us is most dangerous when it remains unconscious and unrecognized. It manifests itself through the defense mechanism of projection. Now, I think we all know what projection is, but let me just say a word about it because I think that this is far and away the most significant and potentially dangerous, yet also helpful defense, defense mechanism that we possess. I'll give you a simple example of it. Let's say that I'm angry at my wife for something that she said or did. But I was taught as a child that anger is a bad thing, and I have spent most of my life repressing my anger and avoiding conflict and confrontation. So I wake up one morning with this anger unaware, totally unaware of what I'm feeling. And suddenly I perceive my wife as being angry. Just the way she says good morning sounds colder or more distant than usual. So at breakfast I say to her, you're angry at me, aren't you? And she responds, no, not really. Why do you say that? And I respond, well, just the way you got out of bed and mumbled good morning, I, I could see that you were annoyed. She responds, what do you mean? You're really off there. To which I respond, oh, I am off, am I? You don't consider that an angry statement? And now she's becoming really angry because I'm provoking her. And eventually she does get angry at me for my accusations. Now this, of course, confirms to me my perception that she woke up angry, not me. I am totally unaware that I'm the one who woke up angry because I've projected my anger onto her and in provoking her, I have aroused the very anger of which I'm accusing her. This is a classic example of how projection works. We're clever when we project. We, we toss out little hooks that hook the other person and provoke the very behavior that we have projected, which then lets us off the hook, confirming our illusion and causing us to remain unaware that the source of the projection lies within ourselves. We do this all the time. And much of the time, as, this, as in this example, it's not something terribly serious with awful consequences. Though if I should start doing that with my wife every day, or even every couple of days, it could become a major source of tension in our marriage. Now in this example, anger is part of my shadow. A part of myself that is totally contrary to the persona that I wish to be. And since I'm unaware of it, I project it onto other people. And this shadow projection, which is very important, doesn't just occur on a personal level, it also occurs on larger levels, starting with the family, then expanding to the community, the region, the country, and eventually the world. And that's where it can really create havoc. When we look at the world today, we often find ourselves saying, what a mess this world is in, right? Look at all the wars and tensions between tribes or countries the genocidal massacres, the unnecessary poverty and starvation and growing inequality of the distribution of wealth, the global abuse of the environment. It's not a pretty picture. This is not new. There has been serious turmoil in the world for as long as history has been recorded. But because of technological advances in weaponry and industrial pollution, the severity of damage to the world because of the tensions and abuse by humankind can have far more serious 
consequences today than in the past and could very well threaten the future of our race and our environment. When you see the awful things that you see all the time on TV or in the papers that people do to one another, you find yourself asking, why? How can people do that to each other? How can they inflict such pain on their fellow beings? Now, there's no simple answer to this, and certainly many things come into play, including greed, avarice, jealousy, misplaced pride, ignorance. But I'm convinced that from a psychological perspective, one of the major factors that contributes to what men do to one another, and let me be clear, it's men who have done it a lot more than women, and that's just a fact, we are the warriors. But a lot of, one of the major factors here is the role of shadow projection. So long as we strive to be good as we understand it, and to avoid evil as we understand it, we're going to have a need to find enemies under whom we can project our shadows, the evil within ourselves. This is true on a personal level, and it's true on a national and international level. Just look at this for a moment from an American perspective. Our country is terribly polarized right now, I think we all know that. We are anything but a unified nation, and this should concern us. But this too is not new. 150 years ago, one of the most brutal and bloody wars ever fought occurred between Northerners and Southerners in this country. To each side, the other was the enemy, the personification of evil. Our history is full of shameful examples of creating enemies under whom we could project our collective shadow. Native Americans were seen as barbaric savages who we needed to obliterate to keep the nation good, pure, and safe. Then it was African Americans who to many white Americans personified evil. What better place to project the dark side than onto those of dark skin, right? As different immigrant groups migrated to our shores, each group for a while became the new enemy. Italians, Irish, Portuguese, Chinese, more recently, Latinos. Each experienced periods of being labeled the enemy, the personification of all that makes the country unsafe or unsavory. More recently, during the Cold War, it was the communists who were the enemy, and especially the Soviets. If we could rid the world of communism, then the world would be a safer place. Good would triumph over evil. That's what we thought. But alas, as we know too well, the trend continues. Today, we tend to see the enemy as Muslims and the Middle East in general, but especially right now, Iran. Recently, when I was on vacation in California, I was taken aback when an old childhood friend of mine said, if they would just drop an H-bomb and obliterate Iran, we would all be better off. Wow, what the shadow can do when we project it with such force and emotion. I think there are two major illusions beneath these kinds of projections. First is the illusion that there is a we and a they, and that if we could rid the world of them, it would be a better, safer place. Secondly, and more fundamentally, is the illusion that we are different from them. We're right, they are wrong. We're good, they are evil. What we fail to see, so long as we engage in these projections, 
is what Harry Stack Sullivan, one of my favorite psychologists, said so well when he said, we are all more human than otherwise. I like that. We are all more human than otherwise. Those whom we perceive as enemies are much more like us than different from us. In Buddhist terms, we are all one, part of the same universal reality. But how often do we really understand and grasp this? The only way I think that we can come to that understanding is by recognizing that we are much more than our persona, so much more. Given circumstances that would promote it, I too could be a Nazi, and so could you. I could be a jihadist. I could be a rapist or a serial killer. Not a pleasant thought, but all of these potentialities exist as much within me as they do within anyone else. This doesn't mean that I am particularly bad or evil. It simply means that I am human. I am both good and evil, and therefore, neither good nor evil. For Jung, the goal for which the human psyche strives and toward which our unconscious psyche tries to push us is not toward being good, it's toward being whole. As Joseph Goldbrunner, a Catholic theologian who was also a Jungian, put it, he said, holiness is not goodness, it is wholeness. Holiness is not goodness, it is wholeness. There's probably no more difficult psychological task that we face than that of coming to terms with our own shadow side. But you know, it isn't all unpleasant. Not everything within the shadow is bad. For example, using my earlier illustration, if I can accept anger as a normal and even healthy part of myself, I might be able to use it appropriately and constructively and stop projecting it onto others. In this case, what I initially perceived as evil might actually become good. Often our persona includes negative self-views. And this is where the mechanism of projection can help us. It can be an ally. The projection is the psyche's attempt to show us the truth. We just have to learn to recognize it. We may see ourselves as being inadequate, unattractive, incompetent, and so forth. Well, if that's the case, within our shadow then, there lies the ability to see ourselves as more worthy, more competent, more deserving of good things. The goal then is to accept all of who we are, both good and evil, neither good nor evil. Following Jung's insightful teaching, Developing this kind of awareness and seeing our projections for what they are is the best thing we can do to become happier, healthier human beings. And it's the best thing that we can do for humanity. In my experience, it's this kind of awareness that we cultivate when we engage in serious meditation and spiritual practice. As we become more enlightened, we become more compassionate responsible human beings. And it's so very important for us to realize that our spiritual practice does not only benefit us personally, but it also can help us to begin to be harbingers of peace and unity 
in a very troubled world. Thank you.